0: What does it feel like when you do something you absolutely love? What if that was your life's mission? And in the constant rat race we are all living, why should you stop and reflect about what you should do instead of what you can do? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Security Leadership Podcast. My name is Yaron Levy. My day job is a CISO and I'm a member of the security community for more than 10 years. With me here is my co-host Jeff Snyder, who is an executive coach and a security recruiter since 1997. Welcome Jeff. Good morning and happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Thank you. So Jeff, our episode today is a little different. You decided to tell your story, but before you tell it, let me tell a little story about how you and I met. Is that okay?
1: That's perfectly fine
0: with me. So as a matter of fact, you found me. You found me about 10 years ago when you were recruiting for a director of security for one of your clients. As I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, this wasn't a typical, um, what you would call a recruiter call. You asked me very few questions about my experience and skills, but you greeted me pretty heavily on who I am and what I want to do. This is when you first challenged me with the question, is that what you can do or is that what you should do? Long story short, uh, that job opportunity didn't work out. But over the years, you and I stayed in touch through you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, a phone call every couple of years. Um, Until one day last year, when my friend Alan Alford, who is also the uh, co-host of the Defense in Depth podcast with David Spark, asked a question on LinkedIn about using Myers-Briggs assessment in the workplace. I commented on Alan's post that I never took Myers-Briggs, and I might take it just for fun. The next thing I know, I get a message from you that shook my world, and uh, do you remember what you wrote?
1: I I don't remember an hour ago, so you'll have to tell me.
0: Okay. So what you said to me was, and, and I'm, I'm reading from the message. Uh-oh. You said, Meyer Briggs won't do you any good. You know one of the most talented coaches on the planet, but you've never taken the advantage of the result-driven work I'm doing with some of your peers and colleagues. I have died twice and have fought back to live in ways that others only think about I'm delivering the best work of my life this of course I mean you know spring me immediately to action and, and you know I called back that's where you start you should your 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 probably one of the most inspiring stories I ever heard um, so we're going to show that story uh, with our listeners so
1: do tell Wow I wrote that for real yes you did I, I, I kept it okay. All right, so this is going to be a completely different podcast, and um, I wanted to do this for a while, but I didn't want to do it right out of the gate. Uh, I kind of things have, have evolved and built up, and I kind of want to do it now, because I want people to understand this isn't just two guys sharing their opinions. Uh, this is two people with very differing backgrounds. And I mean really different backgrounds, because what I'm about to share is going to take you to a dimension where most people have never spent any time, and rightfully so. So my story goes back to 2009. And no, it's not going to take me hours to get to 2020. Uh, We'll do this in a short period of time. My story goes back to the end of softball season, 2009. I just finished my third softball season. I believe I was playing three nights a week, and I was loving life. Uh, I, I had retired from softball before that. I had retired from tennis before that. And I was also on the court every Saturday morning playing mixed doubles, and I loved that. So there was hardly a day where I sat still. Every once in a while, I might rest, but not too often. My buddy, Tim, who was my center fielder on one of my competitive softball teams, at the end of that season, I distinctly remember him uh, looking at me and saying, you know, if, if you could learn how to play hockey the way you play shortstop, man, would you be good. Well, of course, that stroked my ego. Uh, Who doesn't like to be told they could be great at something? Uh, Except now, looking back a decade, I can tell you that playing shortstop and being great at hockey, there's no correlation whatsoever. I I will take your word for it because I know nothing about hockey. And
0: um, I tried. I really tried. But all I see is like people kind of beating each other with a stick. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take
1: your word for it oh it's the it's the greatest decision I've ever made so i I let him uh he didn't even have to twist my arm. he twisted my little finger next thing I know we were at played against sports uh he he was walking through the aisles with me, showing me what I needed to pick up and buy. We walked out with a bag full of used eh, pretty smelly hockey equipment. I brought it home and immediately put it in the washing machine. But it was January of 2010, that I started playing hockey for the first time in my life as a a 43-year-old adult. Uh, Not only did I start playing hockey, but I started on Tim's team. Tim grew up in Michigan, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people in Michigan, North Dakota, Minnesota, I think they're born with skates on. And that has to to make for a very, very painful delivery for the mother. But these guys learn how to skate as fast as they learn how to walk. So I got out on the ice with Tim and his buddies, and we all had the same uniforms on, and there were two referees. Wow, I was actually playing hockey. Tim was supposed to explain some things before we got to the the rink that night, but he conveniently forgot to. And my first game was trial by fire. Uh, I, I jumped out on the ice when they told me to. I stood in the wrong place. I was off sides. So I didn't know what I was doing because no one took the time to teach me. Well, that turned into immediately playing in three leagues on Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I was absolutely bound and determined to become good at hockey. I've never not been good at a sport in my entire life. And I have to tell you, hockey was absolutely humbling. I was the worst player on every sheet of ice that I went to, not only in Colorado, but uh, by Memorial Day, I was down in Phoenix playing in a tournament. So, my point in telling you this is. Uh, I was not yet working out of my natural strengths. I didn't have that knowledge, but I had that instinct. So my instinct said, ooh, competition, scoreboard, fitness, all those things that I value deeply. And I got to do it three times a week. It was the most painful decision I've ever made in my life because there's not enough time to physically recover between Sunday and Tuesday and Tuesday and Thursday when you're brand new at playing hockey. You discover muscles in your body that you did not know you had. I also played hockey at 6,000, 7,000, and 8,500 feet. And I discovered that playing hockey is absolutely nothing like walking and breathing. So I couldn't breathe, I didn't know the game, I was in pain, I was humiliated. Well, when anybody tries to get out of their comfort zone and steps into something else, you could be in pain, you could feel inadequate, you could feel like you're under or beneath or below everybody else, and you know what, you may be absolutely right. Around the third month, one night, I scored three goals I had never scored before. I scored a hat trick. Everybody was excited for me. I was elated. I couldn't wait to get back to my next hockey game. And I didn't stop scoring after that. That was the moment where all that hard work came together, and it worked. I'll fast forward to September of 2010, September 17th. Uh, I played two games that night back-to-back. I was driving home from my second game, and I was by myself. It was was dark. I'm driving up the mountain. And I had these just weird, eerie feelings in the back of my shoulders and in my neck. I didn't equate it to anything heart-related. I thought, well, I'm 43 years old. I'm trying to play a kid's game. I've just played two games in a row. Of course, I'm going to have aches and pains. Well, I got home. I I think I took another shower because I just felt so weird. I went to bed that night, and this is really, really important. Everybody, men and women, should listen to what I'm about to say. I went to bed that night and I tossed and turned and tossed and turned and tossed and turned until 4 a.m. I finally got up. I went to the living room. I pulled out my laptop. I pulled up WebMD. And I started searching for, for the symptoms that I was experiencing. And I finally got to a list. The symptoms were explaining a heart attack. And I could check every single box. Um, WebMD didn't tell me to do this. I just did it on my own. I took an aspirin. A couple hours later, when my wife got up, the girls were on the the bus to go to school. My wife took me to the emergency room. It took the emergency room doctor two or three minutes before he walked back in the, the curtain area that I was in. And he said, Mr. Snyder, you are having a heart attack. We've called the ambulance to get you down to Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs. Whoa, wait a minute. Heart attack? Ambulance? I was in the best shape of my life. Three hockey games a week, 75 games in uh, basically less than nine months. This could not be happening. Well, sure enough, they put me in the ambulance. I made it about five miles from the hospital in Colorado Springs. And I, all of a sudden, I remembered the siren going on. It wasn't on before. I remember the, uh, the ambulance sped up. The, the driver put the pedal to the floor. And I remember the paramedic for an instant, and I, then I was gone. By the time we got to the emergency room, the paramedic had already saved my life once. My my heart, I, I don't know that my heart stopped, but my blood pressure went down to next to nothing. They got me going again in the emergency room. I crashed again. Next thing I know, I wake up on a table. I'm having a catheter surgery. I woke up in the middle of my catheter surgery. I won't tell you what happened. It gets gets kind of gross, but the next time I woke up, I was in a hospital room, and I I had just had stents inserted into my heart. I didn't even know how to spell the word. Jeff, that had been quite a shock. Well, it was it was a shock. When I woke up, I remember my wife standing at the door of the hospital room with the, the cardiologist who saved my life. He was on call at, at the ER that night, or that day, I guess it was day, day, night, when you're in a hospital, there you know there's no windows on the inside of the hospital, so you don't know what time it is. Um, I remember him distinctly saying, Wendy, what does your husband do? And she said, well, you know, he, he, he's a recruiter. He does executive coaching. And she also told him that I had been playing three hockey games a week since January. And his, she, she said his eyes lit up. He's done what? And she explained. He said, well, between taking that aspirin and the fitness that he's in, he saved his life. Nobody survives this kind of heart attack. He has had the most major heart attack a person can have. So, so yeah, that, 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 you know, when I was awake enough to be coherent, uh, that was quite a shock. Well, that wasn't the end of the story. We have years to go and I'll, I'll, I'll speed up here. During that surgery, doctors found that I had an aortic aneurysm that had not yet burst. Uh, If you remember the, the late actor John Ritter of Three's Company, he died from an aortic aneurysm that burst. can happen to anybody. So had I not had the heart attack, they wouldn't have found the aortic aneurysm And sooner or later, playing hockey, I would have created enough pressure with the the intensity of that sport to burst that aneurysm, and I would have died on the ice in in a second. Well, they monitored me for three and a half years. I went in and had CAT scan after CAT scan. Uh, It's a wonder that I don't light up like an alien from all the radiation. And three and a half years later, uh, the the heart surgeon called at eight o'clock on a Monday morning and said, Jeff, it's time. Well, during those, those three and a half years, I played 200 more hockey games. My cardiologist and I decided, yeah, there's risk, but there's more risk of me sitting on my rear end on a couch and turning into a couch potato. And he discovered that I have a passion for living life, not just experiencing life. I want to live it. I want to be right smack in the middle of it. So I played 200 hockey games. The objective was to show up for open heart surgery someday in the best possible shape that I could show up in. So you
0: took that risk, which is quite astonishing. I mean, if you think about it, right, when when you go through a uh, an event like that in your life, which I'm sure pretty much gonna kind of shook your world. Like you said, I mean, you were 43 years old, I mean, in great shape, um, you know, not history or, or like, you know, the more regular um, symptoms, if you will. Right.
1: Right. That's right.
0: And then now you have found out this new or, or this other condition that you have to take care of. And, you know, like, Most people probably will play safe. Why do you take the risk?
1: Well, actually, I don't know. But remember, I hang around hockey players and mountain bikers and skiers and mountain climbers. The people that I hang around live life. So I didn't even go exploring what other people would do. I looked inward. And by this time, I was coaching strengths. So I'll tell you exactly what I leaned upon. I leaned on my futuristic, which is visionary. I could see myself back on the ice doing what I do after the open heart surgery someday, if I did all the right things on the front end of the open heart surgery. It was my strategic that helped me to map out what I needed to do every single day to show up in the best possible shape. It was my activator that got me off my rear end and made me go out and hike or walk or mountain bike in the rain when I didn't feel like it. I always felt like going to the rink, by the way. So that wasn't an issue. And I've never had a bad ski day. So uh, those things, I didn't need any get up and go. I just needed the day to come so I could do
0: it. So so in other words, what you're saying, start with the end in mind, visualize where you want to get to, Yes. and then start working towards getting there. Right. Because I think many people just, you know, going through the motions, living day by day, not even knowing their direction. But here you are setting up a goal and going towards it.
1: 100%. I have goals that are still sitting on my whiteboard. I crushed every single goal. They're all written down. I learned what it was like to be a patient in the hospital where you as the patient are completely unable to do anything for yourself. Wow, is that humiliating to someone who does everything for himself this is where i learned about empathy we talked about empathy in a previous uh podcast so my idea of empathy really has nothing to do with security leadership it has to do with how i was treated and how i treated those who treated me after my chest had been cut open so jeff
0: so it sounds like that experience, in a way,
1: put you on a different path? Oh, for sure. A very close friend of mine one day, he said, Jeff, I think you've developed something that nobody else has. I said, well, what What do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, your, uh, your conscientiousness of time, time, is like... Nobody I've ever met, you value every single moment of every single day and you don't have any tolerance for anything or anybody who wants to waste time. So when, when somebody else gives you that kind of feedback, well, that's the real deal. That's what he was experiencing, whether I saw it or not. Sometimes we can't see ourselves, but other people do. So, yeah, you're, you're, you are absolutely right. That, to say that that changed my life, well, yeah, for the second time. So I didn't, I didn't die in the open-heart surgery. That was a planned surgery. But here's where the story gets even more bizarre. Doctors looked at me, the heart surgeon looked at me, said, everything's healing just fine. Go live your life. I don't ever want to see you again. And I said, well, with all due respect, I don't want to see you either.
0: Yeah, it always makes me laugh, you know, when you go to a doctor and they say, hey, good to see you. And, and I always kind of think in my head, is like, so why? Because you didn't believe I'm going to make it this far? Or because I'm paying your, you know, bills <laughs> or whatever? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never happy to see you. I mean, as a person, you're different. But as a doctor, I'm never happy to see you.
1: Right. Well, that just shows the power of words. And in his case, he actually used the right words. I don't want to see you again. Absolutely. Terrific. We're done. So I went back. To, the, to skating. I went back to hockey. Uh, I don't know all of the breakdowns, but I can tell you from 2010 to the last part of 2019, I skated 700 hockey games. It is the brightest, smartest, best decision I've ever made of my life. It gave me camaraderie. It gave me Uh, It gave me an opportunity to leverage all of my strengths. I I got to lead my hockey team. It wasn't a formal position. It's just a position they they put me in. And, well, it's because I was already doing it. I love hockey. So I'm going to keep talking about hockey because it carries on. Everything seemed to be fine. I got back on my bike. I got back on my skis. I got back on my skates. One night in September of 2018, we hadn't gotten 10 minutes into a hockey game, and I collapsed. I don't think I was even sweaty yet. The game had just started. I collapsed on the ice. I went into cardiac arrest. My heart stopped. I died. The coach on the other team was a former paramedic. There was a defibrillator on the wall of the rink that had been put in about two years before that. I think it had been used once or twice. Well, a third time's a charm. The coach on the other team uh, got some guys to help get me, you know, get my my equipment off. And he shocked me. He knew what to do. He brought me back to life. I don't know how much time went by between the time that my heart stopped and the time that he shocked me. So if your heart is not pumping, your brain is being deprived of blood, which carries your oxygen. Brain damage. The paramedics came, my heart was already going cuz the para- you know I had a paramedic there. They rushed me to the hospital and put me into a medically induced coma for several days. I obviously wasn't awake for any of this, but my wife tells me that the doctors around her told her that I had probably a 5 to 10% chance of surviving and coming back with any sense of normalcy whatsoever. They just didn't know how much brain damage I might have incurred. Fast forward, three or four days later, I woke up. I distinctly remember the night that I woke up. It was, it was a horrid night. I was coming out of you know, the, the heaviest narcotics on the planet. It was awful. I couldn't wait for the the sun to shine and the daylight to show up. It was was just horrendous. A couple days later, they sent me home. I went home behind a walker. I couldn't stand up straight. I did have brain trauma. But a month later, I was back on the ice. Nobody gave me any chance whatsoever of getting back to any sort of a normal life. A month after that, I was on skis. We had good snow that season. First day we could go out and ski, I went out and gave it a try. When you go up a ski lift, your only option is to get off and ski down. I was shaky. I wasn't sure what I could or couldn't do. 79 hockey games I skated. My goal was 50. By May, I crushed that goal. Sometime in April or May, unknown to me, I had a small stroke. It was in the back of my head in the cerebellum, which is the balance center of the brain. I started getting really squarely on my skates. I couldn't, I just didn't have confidence. I couldn't skate the way I normally skated. Well, good grief, I'd had a stroke. I skated 29 more hockey games. I made a new goal of 100 100 by the end of 2019. I didn't quite make it. At the end of September, I went to my last hockey game. I dressed out for the game. I was having trouble tying my skates. Uh, One of my hands was already uh, not working well. I skated across the ice. I just knew I couldn't play anymore. I went back to the locker room undressed and I left the rink that night. It's the last time I've been in a hockey rink. A couple of weeks later I went to the doctor and we we discovered that I have Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. I, there is no scientific way I can prove this to you, but the theory is when I went through brain trauma from the cardiac arrest it triggered a gene that was sitting dormant in me. It's a gene that runs with ALS. So I went from cardiac arrest to coma to getting back on my feet, but I had ALS and I didn't know it. Well, now I know it. So now I am officially dying from ALS. Why are we doing this podcast? Because I can, first of all, and I want to put on the table everything that I have learned from almost 30 years of recruiting, working with hiring decision makers, people who know what they want, people who don't know what they want. I'm I'm trying, along with my co host, to put those things into words to help people. To be aware and to have the opportunity to crush their own learning curves.
0: Jeff, your story is is nothing short than amazing. When I heard that story the first time, um, and and just kind of reflecting on myself, you know, on my career, um, and really kind of going back to kind of the same question that you asked me ten years ago: Are you doing what you can, or are you doing what you should? How these experiences help you discover or perhaps even more focus on the things that you should do.
1: That's a great question. And my answer to you in my mind is crystal clear. Over over the last decade, I have I've have been passionate about spending less and less time doing things that I can do because I started discovering things that I absolutely must do. In other words, those things align with my greatest strengths. My greatest strengths are my greatest potential performance. Everybody has the same thing within them. And I'm absolutely sure that most people never discover what their unique greatness is well, that's not good enough for me, I'm a maximizer. Maximizer means I at least want to take good to great, and I prefer to take it all the way to excellent. Not everybody thinks that way, and I respect that. But the people that I'm fortunate to meet with every single day right now are people who have a burning desire to discover their best performance and there's absolutely nothing I would rather do than to see somebody's light bulbs turn on when they, when they realize or discover something about themselves. It's always been there, but they've never, they've never looked at themselves like that before. They've never asked questions in a certain way before. But now when they, when they turn the dial and they ask questions and they're curious in a different way, they start to discover uh, new things that they'd never seen before. It's the greatest work I've done in my life. And it's what I'm gonna do until I can no longer, you know, get, get on the phone and do what I do.
0: I wanna first of all, thank you uh, for inspiring me and also inviting me to be a uh, part of your journey. Um, I'm humbled by the fact that if I can contribute in any way um, to the work that you're doing, and you know, I know how much it was uh, life changing and impacting on me. Um, I'm, I'm really honored to be part of this. I want to thank everyone who is listening to our podcast. Uh, please continue to share your thought with us, uh, like it, share it with others, and help us grow and become better. Um, and if you have any thoughts uh, you would like to share with us, uh, please find us on LinkedIn um, or um, find us on the Security Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much, and that concludes our podcast for today.